Welcome to Ormwood Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and to our podcast where we share our Sunday sermons for those in Ormwood Park, Atlanta, and beyond. Our mission is to welcome everyone to explore the living God in all of our neighborhoods, and we value welcoming others, opening our minds, being of service, and participating in whatever ways God calls us. We hope you learn, grow, and find a place to belong with us. So our passage for today um, is Acts chapter 7, verses 55 to 60. So listen now for a word from God. But filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But... The people covered their ears, and with a loud shout, they all rushed together against him. And then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. Amen. So this excerpt from the lectionary, (laughs) it needs a bit more context, don't you think? The lectionary, remember, is that calendar of scripture texts that attempt to, over three years, place most of the important stories in the Bible in front of a congregation, however at what cost, right? Like, this is, we need a little, we need a bit more to this story. So here it is. Stephen is an early leader of the church, and he's trying to figure out for himself and then share with other folks the significance of what just happened. Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection. Stephen is in Jerusalem speaking to his own community, but those in power are feeling threatened. In the first 54 verses of chapter 7, Luke says the leaders start to feel threatened by the way Stephen is reimagining their spiritual lives and God's identity. And yet when they try to speak with Stephen about it, they, they can't really figure out a way to argue against what he's saying. So they try another tactic, deception, groupthink, and violence. But they start to first spread lies about Stephen. He's saying Jesus will destroy the temple. He's saying Jesus is disregarding Moses. He's speaking blasphemy. And the people in Stephen's community then turn against him, so much so that they physically restrain him and bring him before the Sanhedrin. The leader of this council asks him to speak, to defend himself. And what comes right before our passage that we read today is Stephen's speech, his defense of sorts. It's a sermon that maps out through ancient scripture stories how we humans, we're just really good at rejecting movements of the spirit. We're better at grabbing power, you know, kind of like Joseph's brothers did when they sold him into slavery. But God saved everyone by Joseph's ability to stockpile grain in Egypt during a famine. Or like the Egyptians who grabbed for power when they enslaved the Hebrew people, but God brought up Moses to lead them out. Or when those in the wilderness grew impatient or frustrated and wanted to take things into their own hands, they did that literally. When Moses was up in the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, they made golden idols that they could hold to worship instead. 
Yet God was patient and provided them homes and food and community rules as they made the long trek to freedom. God invited them to make a home for God among them, first in the tent and then a temple. But this is the stickler that kind of turned the crowds violent towards Stephen. After Stephen recounted the history of his community's power grabs and God's continuing appending of that power, Stephen claimed that they, his own community, were now the stiff-necked ones. They couldn't recognize the liberating power of Jesus. And just like in the past, they opposed this new spirit, new things of the spirit that the spirit was doing among them through Jesus. They persecuted what the spirit was doing to the point of violence and then death. Instead of keeping God's law of love, they sided with what would keep them in power, betrayal and murder, even of Jesus. The crowds did not like Stephen's assessment. And so we arrive now at the first Christian martyr, Stephen. The threat of something new, something different, something challenging has brought this group to the point of violence. Change has discomforted them, has driven up so much fear in them that they're willing to do kind of the the ultimate wrong thing, right? (laughs) In every strong echo of Jesus's death, Our passage today illustrates Stephen's own martyrdom as well. But how, how did we get here both times, Jesus and Stephen? Shall I name the ways we get there? Or maybe just name the names, right? I mean, we can, we can go further. Martin Luther King Jr., John Brown, Janani Lewim, Matthew Shepard, Abraham Lincoln, Maximilian Kolbe, Nurkan Yildish Koda Yeva, Manche Massimola, Oscar Romero, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Socrates, Hans and Sophie Scholl, Mahatma Gandhi, Harvey Milk. There are many. Humans have a sad history of snuffing out those who stand for change. With the rise of Christian nationalism and the exposure of white supremacy, as we start to reckon with the changes we need to make as a country, Many of us fear exactly the circumstances that led to Stephen's death, but, and for good reason, right? The FBI released data last month that hate crimes had risen by over 11% in 2021. Crimes against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, Sikhs and bisexual people all more than doubled. Meanwhile, hate crimes against Black, White, and LGBTQ people made up nearly half of all incidences, and the ACLU is mapping 471 anti-LGBTQ bills currently. Or we can think back to our own response as a country in fear amidst the aftermath of 9-11. We opened Guantanamo Bay, a prison camp where almost 800 men have passed through the cells, and in addition to unlawful detention without any process, many are also subjected to torture and brutal treatment. We cannot say that Stephen's first Christian martyrdom was shocking or unique, but what we can say is that it is really hard for the Spirit to work in all of the beautiful, shocking, diverse, redemptive, and innovative worries she works when we're saturated in fear of each other and in fear of change. When we are grabbing for more, more security, more power, more commodities, more attention, more guns, our love, our compassion, our openness to the spirit all fall out of our hands. 
we can't hold it all. When I read this account of Stephen's murder, I see the ways we shut down when faced with something outside our experience. The way we try to discredit and dehumanize a person who is asking us to re-examine what we're doing, how we are living. The people literally deny Stephen's presence by covering their ears. Like children on a playground, they plug their ears. But instead of sticking their tongue out, they end his life. Stakes are higher when you're an adult. A change to the status quo, and quite honestly, any change can often bring out the most base responses that we've grown to rely on in the past to keep us safe. But they're not safe for everyone. And and sometimes we have these responses to dehumanize, to cover our ears, to ridicule or snap at folks, even when that change is good. I was speaking with Reverend Dr. Jerry Cannon a couple weeks ago at a conference, and he said, you know, Janelle, change is constant. It is our reality, but change is also hard. Even good change is hard for us humans. Many of you know, we recently renovated our tiny kitchen into a less tiny kitchen this spring. And by all accounts, it's a really good thing. In fact, it has entirely changed the way we live in the upstairs of our house, more communally, more kindly. We can host more effectively. We're no longer having to keep our recycling in the bathroom. Change is good here, right? It's change, but it's good change. However, when we were in the midst of the renovation earlier this spring, there was one day where Chris was working late again, and we were staying at a one-bedroom lofted Airbnb with our two dogs, cat, and kids because the floors were being resanded. And Micah was out of school that day. It was just too much for me. I was overwhelmed. So much change. I was being unkind. And Micah, in his wisdom, said to me, don't take your stress out on me, mom. Good change is still often very hard. It can demand much of us. So no wonder we fall apart when change is challenging or hard. When we are faced with a reforming of our expectations or reality, without a proper toolkit, without the spirit close at hand, without a community of love, man, we do crazy things, sometimes terrible things. And sometimes those terrible things are to other human beings. But the thing about change And even about our falling apart in the middle of it is that it's not the end of the story. Luke, the author of Acts, shares this story of Stephen, not so that we lift up our hands in hopelessness, but this story then becomes the tipping point at which people flee Jerusalem and start sharing Jesus's love even further afield. It's the shift that makes everyone in the community take their behavior more seriously. It's the tragic moment that solidified people's resolve and broadened the base, if you will. It's a point of germination found, unfortunately, in the soil of Stephen's grave. Because this is just chapter 7 of Luke's 28-chapter narrative of the early church's reach as it shares Jesus' way of love and living. The story doesn't stop with this death. It doesn't stop with death. In fact, ironically, this story also contains one of the people who eventually changes so significantly that he goes from holding the witnesses' coats to dying for the faith himself, Saul. 
Saul stands in this story as a witness to Stephen's death, one that he helped instigate. And yet over the next few chapters, Saul himself goes from conspirator to humble learner to Jesus's biggest fan. And the change is so significant that his name changes from Saul to Paul. Change can be good. It's hard, but it can be good. And the, the thing is, is, what I want you to hear is no one wants pain or persecution or violence. We're not saying that's good. They are never a means to an end. But as Rabbi Stephen Later, who does countless funerals at his temple in California, he's kind of known for it. But what he says is, if you go through hell, don't come out empty handed. The lessons are never worth the pain. But if the pain has the potential to dismantle our worst tendencies, the spirit will scoop it up. If you go through hell, don't come out empty handed. And I cannot finish this sermon without speaking about the pain of gun violence this week. Our fascination and protection of an instrument of death repeatedly shocks me. That we are vulnerable to people's worst behaviors and groupthink and fear, this is not a new feature of being human, but none of us here want to face that with the loaded weapon. So I want to repeat what Rabbi later said. If you go through hell, don't come out empty-handed. As we process the violence we've seen in Atlanta, in Georgia, in California, in Texas this week, work with the spirit to scoop up the worst of our world and transform it. Advocate, lobby, practice kindness, run from fear, refuse to dehumanize. Do not put your hands over your ears. Hold them out instead to comfort those who experience loss to hold a sign on the Capitol's lawn, to send your money to the front line of gun reform, click it, donate, to promote healing for those suffering from mental illness, to hold on to the spirit, even when faced with the change of a lifetime, so that when we go through hell, we do not come out empty-handed. Amen. <laughs>